Uh, I should mention for the Internet audience that uh, uh, Felicia in the second row has handed out um, uh, buttons that says uh, Go Seahawks on them, for those of you who wonder uh, what the predisposition of uh, Cliffside is on this high holy day. And I have predicted the Super Bowl game score, so you don't need to watch it now, even though you'll get this after the fact. I have picked Seattle to not just cover the spread, but to dominate the game, and my score is 33 Seattle, Denver 17. Okay, here we go. February 2nd, 2014, lecture discussion number 141 on the Book of Romans. And actually today uh, is going to be kind of a special lecture, being that we are up against the high religious holiday of Super Baal. And I've learned not to compete with Super Baalism over the years. And for those of you listening on the Internet, we've adjusted our usual time by a couple of hours, in case you think I'm cheating on that prediction, but we have shorted the, uh, or short, I'm sorry, not just shortened the uh, uh, lecture today, but we've moved it a couple hours forward in order to accommodate those who have established uh, their own super ballist, by, 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 can't even say it, super ballistic, ballistic, that's the double syllable there, it's hard for my over-enlarged tongue. Though I will say this, those of you who want to know, my trumpet teacher, and told me that I sounded like a trumpet player for the first time uh, successfully. Uh, I played something seven times out of ten, and he was very pleased with me, and, uh, uh, and I finally achieved. Uh, I don't know why I brought that up. I had a reason. <sighs> Just interested me, I guess, for a second, my mind failing as we, as we listened to me. But, uh, oh, that's right, I have an over-enlarged tongue, and I can't play the trumpet very well because of that, but... I also can't say Super Baalistic very well either, so I hope you caught that. I ruined it, but the Baalistic has a uh, particular groaning capability, and I, I hated to miss that. So we're going a bit shorter in duration today, probably not covering anything new. Actually, what I'm doing is I've been promising to uh, begin the introduction to Pascal's Wager, and that's what I'm going to do today. I won't be covering uh, the previous subjects because I knew that our usual attendance would be catastrophically low because of the time change and the religious nature of today. Bill called it Holy Groundhog Day, and, and, and people are having feasts and exchanging gifts and all of that. But uh, I knew that was coming, and I didn't want to bring in things that, um, that I know uh, refer back to something I've already done in the near uh, past, so I wanted to try to put this out today, and then I can clean it up for the rest of them as they straggle in. And I knew that only the most holy of the holies come on Super Ballism Day, and so there you are, uh, all of you. We, we, we should photograph you and put you on the back wall. And, and I do know that you, you come for the buffet. So uh, Anyway, I promise to be short, but my concept of short is up for debate. It still exceeds... 98% of my colleagues' uh, presentations today, and, and yes, I know that my colleagues uh, do not accept me as a colleague. I just say that I am to aggravate them. It makes them apoplectic uh, to be associated by someone like me who's deemed to be unworthy of the said association that they all belong to, and, and, and no one I know of has been more so deemed unacceptable than me, as you all know. I like that because that has the effect of transferring me tremendous power 
uh, I can go to my uncolleagues and, and they will scatter now. So it's kind of cool. I find that delightful. Anyway, recently this happened, and so it fit in really well for me today, and I wanted to put it, put it in today. A somewhat celebrated figure on the monistic, atheistic side of things was quoted as saying, there is no more psychopathic mass murderer killer than God. Did you hear that? It was all over the news. There is no more psychopathic mass murderer killer than God. And this gentleman just went on further to say, religions just make up stories. I address that complaint almost every Sunday with the typological aspect and the interconnection of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the parables. Those are not stories. Those are unbelievable, amazing things. But he doesn't know that. No one's ever told him. No one would ever explain it to him. And he wouldn't want to have it told to him or explained to him. So there's an issue of the will there. As usual, his statement, there is no more psychopathic mass murderer than God, was celebrated uh, by the monistic uh, community who cheered loudly as if, and the man's name is Bill Maher, as if Bill Maher had made sense or had uttered something esoteric or profound, if you will, or formidable. And... Um, and that's probably the first lesson in theological or philosophical debating. Adoring sycophants are the last to know if something is cogent or compelling. They are all in a bubble, and they are surrounded by like-minded people who are also in their bubble. And that's why it's so difficult for us to watch East Coast media, uh, that which is teeming, it's replete, it's swarming with uninformed, oblivious um, thinking. Uh, almost an automaton. They all say the same things over and over and over again. They never think, they're certain that no one can ever take apart or counter their belief system, whether it be political, whether it be philosophical, whether it be scientific. They just never come in contact with anyone that doesn't think like them. And uh, it's, it's discouraging to watch it from our perspective. But uh, that bubble... They're aware of it. They talk about it, but they don't, it never affects them. Anyway, I, I digress. Uh, let's evaluate Mr. Marr's hypothesis. There is no more psychopathic mass murderer than God. I, I don't have time to write it on the board today. i got other things to write. But just try to remember it. Let me repeat it again. There is no more psychopathic mass murderer than God. That's what he believes to be true. And we'll say it at every opportunity. Unfortunately, when he does say it, it terrifies the shallow-thinking Christians on the East Coast because no one apparently tells them uh, what is wrong with a statement like that. And they predictably fly, uh, fl- they, they flee, and they, their, their idea of a stinging retort is, oh, yeah, or says who, or other equally ineffective uh, un, is unnecessarily sad is what it is. So let's let's just take a look at it really fast. Obviously, psychopathy is insanity by definition. It means you're unbalanced. You have a madness. You're evil, especially when your psychopathy has caused mass murder. So if I said somebody was a psychopathic uh, murderer. 
er, then he, he is, it's necessary that he be, de- be declared to be evil. So once again, and it's just once again, it's the same, 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 always the same, an atheist who has no idea what, uh, what the issue is that he is discussing, but nonetheless is anxious and it is important emotionally to him or her to declare God, if God exists, then God is evil, and the evidence is all of the uh, catastrophic, if you will, or tragic death, uh, and God is a unbalanced, mad, uh, evil mass murderer. And therefore, by the way, how Pascal's wager fits in this is that this is an attempt, probably unknowingly, but perhaps knowingly, um, to nullify Pascal's wager. And so I think it may have been, in fact, what caused Maher to uh, respond. So it becomes my introduction into the subject that is Pascal's thoughts. Uh, and we're going to be revisiting Pascal's wager in the near future in depth, real depth, the, the way it is supposed to be um, dealt with. Uh, for today, though, it's going to be simplified, and I'm going to simplify it um, this way. Not, not a whole lot different than uh, our discussion with C.S. Lewis and his great um, uh, statement about his uh, past wife. Pascal says essentially this, God is or God is not. To which side shall we incline our wager, if you will? And those are his words. God is or God is not. To which side shall we incline or which side shall we wager? And um, and again, it's far more complex than than um, than what I'm doing today. Quantum uncertainty, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle will have to be discussed here because how much can we know comes into the issue. And so quantum uncertainty rises up into this this discussion. And that, by the way, is very, very troubling to the uh, physicalist or the monist or the materialist or, if you will, the atheist. Very troubling. That's why it's so important. But Pascal's wager uh, can be reduced for the sake of today's discussion to this free will decision. God is or God is not. On which side will you incline? Which side will you wager? Which side would you place your bet? Since we're talking about the super Baalism and Baalistic. See how I got it out that time? And we are wagering, or we should have. Because when I'm right about Seattle, there was another lost opportunity. Which side would you wager? Pascal uh, then can be reduced for the sake, like I said, to today's discussion to a free will choice. And Pascal said that choosing a position was not an option. This is something that you must do. And that is where Mr. Ma'ar, or whatever his name is, Ma'ar, he's trying to circumvent that. He doesn't want to choose. But Pascal says, you don't have an option. Choosing is a certainty. It is must There is no possibility except to choose one or the other. And there are no other choices. Ma'ar is trying to say, no, there is a, there's a extenuating circumstance. He's trying to muddle that. We'll get to that in a minute. But Pascal, and I think correctly, said, not optional. Everyone must and everyone does choose. So you can think that you're not choosing, but when you say that you're not choosing, you're choosing. 
you're stuck. Either God is or God is not. There is no other option. And Mara says, again, if God is, he's evil or he's insane. Same thing. And therefore, he refuses to choose. His choice then, he says, is no choice, but it is still a choice. Refusing to choose puts you on one side or the other. You either chose God is or God is not by refusing to choose. But he thinks that he can uh, circumvent it or negate it um, by saying that God is evil. And what he's trying to do is attempt to negate the infinite gain that is Pascal's premise for choosing to believe or wager that God exists. So Pascal says that if you choose God is, then you have infinite gain. And therefore, if you choose God is not, if you believe God is, infinite gain. If you say God is not, infinite loss. Basic math, right? And conversely, Pascal reasoned that if God does not exist, and one were to choose the opposite, then finite loss would be the result. And therefore, the inverse. If God does not exist and one chooses that God does not exist, then finite gain is achieved as opposed to infinite loss and infinite gain. That's why I had to get the board out. I thought I'd get away without using it today. And this, I need to draw this diagram for you so that you get that. Now, it won't necessarily sink in today, but it will. You just have to wait. We have plus G minus G. Okay? God exists. God does not. God is not. Same thing. God is or God is not. If you believe, if you have belief that God ex God is, then you will get infinite gain. Your wager will return to you infinite gain. And if he does not then you have lost, but your loss is finite. Does that make sense? Why is it finite? It's finite because the only thing you've lost is the 70-some years that you have believed that God is. So if God is not, and you believed that he was, you would have a finite loss. And that finite loss may not, in your estimation, may not be loss at all. You might have lived a very prosperous life. You may have had a, a life of, of value. You may have transferred value to those around you. And you may say that it is not a loss at all. But they will argue, well, you were wrong, so you lost the bet. But the loss could be measurable. So it's a finite loss. And if you have unbelief, okay, if you have unbelief, then you have how much loss if God exists? It's infinite loss. And if you're right that God does not exist, then you have finite gain. What did you gain? Well, I like to say it this way. You got a couple more Budweiser's. Now you'd have to know the commercial. You'd have to be old like me. Budweiser had that famous commercial. You only go around once. There is nothing after this world. Grab all the Budweiser's you can. That's, that is somebody who believes that if God is not, they will have a finite gain. Does that make sense? And we'll revisit it over and over and over again uh, until you understand that. And that, by the way, is the basic diagram. I'm going to add much more to that diagram again. 
Excuse me. Mar is adding that God is evil to this diagram. He thinks there should be another column out here. Uh, and it's old, by the way. God is uh, um, evil. I'll just put that, just keep it in the box. But it has a, um, we'll get to it in a minute. That, that premise, trying to add it, is, um, been, is very, very old. My goodness, probably hundreds of years old. And others argue another thing that you'll run across, that the plethora of many contradicting religions with opposing rules and ceremonies, etc., would lead to a high probability that the believing incorrectly would occur. That, in other words, I have so many other religions that I have to somehow negotiate through them because I could believe incorrectly. And that would give me infinite losses as well. And that is their... Um, their um, Presentation, if you will. It skews by the fact that there's so many contradicting religions with opposing uh, concepts, it skews the mathematics of Pascal's wager, they will say to you. And Pascal had a response to that because it happened hundreds of years ago. He said, uh, and we'll get to it next week more effectively. He said that no, God is omniscient. That's his response. God is omniscient. Your argument is destroyed by my statement that God is omniscient. You can come up to him and say, wait, God is evil, and, there are, and I have also all these contradictory uh, rules and religions uh, out there. Um, so therefore, we have to add another column, and he would say, no, neither one of these columns are acceptable because God is omniscient. Now, you may not have recognized why he wins yet, but you will, I promise. Let me just keep going here, and hopefully I'll clear it up. And again, just be aware that Mars' God is evil argument has been around for centuries, and it has been thoroughly discredited. But that's what's wrong with our media today. Something as simple as what Bill Maher said is allowed to go all over without any opposition, when in fact hundreds of years ago, when it was first brought up, it was destroyed. And yet now it seems that no one even knows the history of the philosophical debate. And it's necessary, I believe, it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up months ago, is I think it's valuable for everyone to be able to recognize these things and to destroy them, as uh, discredit them as they come up, as, as they deserve. Pascal quickly determined that creation required omniscience. And this is a brilliant scientific uh, mind, by the way. Creation required omniscience. Not just to create it, but to do what? To, to, if you will, manage it. Keep it operational. Even though it's now operating in a sin condition, it still requires omniscience. So he, he said that uh, omniscience is, is very important in this discussion. And when you talk about omniscience, what do you have to have next? You can't have omniscience. You've heard me say it thousands of times. You can't have omniscience without omnipresence and omnipotence. Those three cannot be disconnected. So you have omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. And if you have those three, then there is something omniscience by itself necessitates it, by the way. That's why Pasquale uh, chose that one and left it there. Omniscience. If you have omniscience, 
Oh, I better spell that whole thing out, huh? Because he wouldn't. Uh... If you have, if you have omniscience and God has omniscience, then you are what? What characteristic does omniscience? And this is a bad way of putting it. This is a human way of putting it. It demands that you be something. Well, you're already, yeah, omniscience says you're all-knowing. But if you're all-knowing, then you can't be something. You can't be evil. You have to be good. Does that make sense yet? Just recognize that's Pascal's position. And it is logical. You can think about it while I sit here and keep going. In other words, omniscience necessitates goodness. Omniscience and evil do not coexist in one person. Omniscience coexists only with good. So that's where we are today. Only omniscience and goodness. In other words, evil is what? What is evil? Pascal's logic. Evil is a flaw. Omniscience rejects flaws. Flaws cannot exist or coexist, if you will, with omniscience. Therefore, God is good. And I did that quickly, I realize. Uh, I will, will cover it in more detail as the weeks come. Find the teaching that, dem- this is what Pascal said, listen, you don't, you don't have to have this position or you can't defend this position because if you think, if you've come to the conclusion that God is evil, you're in error and you're intentionally in error. It's not a choice. In the sense that you're not choosing with any validity, you are agreeing to have a position that you can't defend. God cannot be evil because God is omniscient. And therefore, God is good. And if you will, all you have to do to get rid of the contradictory religions and to get rid of God is evil is just find the religion, find the philosophy, if you will, find the teaching that God is always good. That's the one that's true. So all you have to do to discredit any religion in the world, you're you're talking about a man that wrote this hundreds of years ago. All you have to do is find the one that says God is always good. And get rid of the ones that says he's not. How many say God is not good? Of all the, real, all the religions in the world, how many of them come to the conclusion that there's some flaw, some evil, some sin, some malevolence in God? How many? All but one. And he said, so you're not choosing, you're not, if you have this or this, you're not describing, you're in this position here, you're in the God is not position. Because God cannot be evil if he is omniscient. So that's the same as saying God is not. So again, find the teaching that demonstrates the pure goodness of God, and you will find the one truth, and therefore you will find the one true God. And if you're not doing that, then you have an invalid choice. You're being dishonest. It's a ploy. Okay? But Maurer, Maurer, I don't know how to pronounce his name, says the God of the Bible... He goes further. The God of the Bible is a psychopathic mass murderer. Murderer. Now, why does he believe that? He has an agenda. He has a motive. He has a reason. Why does he say God is evil? Because the Bible, the God of the Bible, does something that he doesn't like. What does the God of the Bible do? The God of the Bible judges And God of the Bible says, this is evil, this is not. This is acceptable to me, that is unacceptable. And he's trying to now say the judge isn't qualified to judge, because the judge is flawed. 
It's old. It's common. If you judge, the atheistic community says, what about judging? If you judge, what are you? <coughs> You're evil. We have moral relativism. Nothing can be judged, especially in our society today. You can't judge anything in our society. You can't judge behavior of any kind. You can't judge any thought process. You can't judge anything, except you can judge people who say things are bad. You cannot judge the people who are actually doing the harmful thing. I read the paper today, uh, the, the daughter, I'll go ahead and mention him. He's a profoundly wicked man. His daughter exposed him today in the New York Times as a profoundly wicked, evil man. She says, how do you like your Woody Allen movies now? If you haven't read that, you should. Woody Allen did despicable, evil things to a seven-year-old girl. She finally, she's 28 now, and she finally came out and said, so, how do you like your Woody Allen movies now? That was the final word of her letter that she wrote. And I thought, wonderfully said. Who celebrates him? Who will defend him? Who will defend those who say just what I said, that what he did was despicable and horrible and he should never see the light of day. He should immediately be grabbed, thrown into a deep pit and proclaimed to be wicked. No one will do it in the environment that he's in. If you say what I just said, watch the hate mail come in. You judging man, you. Well, I'm not judging. I'm just telling you what he is. I got... I have a reference book. I can look him up. I can find out what page he's on. Oh, here he is. He's in Leviticus. The judge will tell me what he is. Doesn't mean that, by the way, that he cannot be saved. He can be. So, judging. We ask, we've got to ask the question, is the judging of sin, the holding of mankind accountable for their sins, is that evil or is that good? You've heard me ask that question hundreds of times. We've discussed it often uh, as it is constantly being raised as evil by the secularists. You know, what I've always found interesting about the malevolent God position, instead of God is evil, God is malevolent, and then you end up with the other side of that, God is benevolent. And God is benevolent, by the way, leads to a universalism position that anybody, if he is a good God, he's going to save everybody. Well, that's a definition of good that is not acceptable because that eliminates what from the equation? That's right. It eliminates omniscience. That may not make sense to you today because you're all thinking about the Kentucky Fried Chicken of which we have mass quantities. You do not need to sit in the back row to be fed today. We have more JoJo's than JoJo does. So we have JoJo'd out. In fact, when we were getting it today, the guy handing me the JoJo's said, you have a lot of JoJo's. I said, yes, I do. He said, I stopped counting how many boxes you have already. I said, that's exactly the amount I want. They know me there, by the way. I walk in, I do the same thing every Super Bowl. They always say nice things to me, and then they laugh at me behind my back. Pretty much how everyone treats me. But nonetheless, we're in good shape today. The malevolent God position is very ancient. As I said, it's been so easily discredited 
But what I found interesting about the malevolent God position is the eagernessness, eagernessness, is, 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 is. What am I trying to say there? How eager the proponents of the argument are to declare themselves capable and able, if you will, to judge God and his character and his capability. It, it is ironic, if you will. I don't see, think of a better example today that I have. It's a, of irony than someone is hateful as uh, Mr. Marr is, and he's renowned for being hateful, is decided that he has the capability and that he is the, the decision-making, the judgment, to determine that God is also hateful or likewise hateful. You would think he would like God for being hateful because they could at least say they share the same characteristics. It's a combination of both amusing and nullifying that um, Mr. Maher obviously has no ability to reflect on himself. He cannot understand his own character or his own capabilities. He thinks he has the capacity, the wisdom, the intellectual capability to judge an omniscient being and determine if that omniscient being is good or evil. So he cannot believe that God is omniscient because one would make God good and he says God's evil He's got to have him finite, and then he's got to say, however monstrous in size God would be comparatively to him, how much more intelligence God would have compared to uh, Mr. Marr. Mr. Marr is still nonetheless able to judge God. He has the capacity to understand all of the elements of the situation, and he places himself into a position of judging God, and that exposes um, an utter lack of reasoning and obviously, there is no humility there. There is only arrogance. If you're going to say to your... To, I've had people all the time come up to me as I've coached for years, and they'll tell me in the third quarter of such and such basketball game, you made a mistake and by putting yourself into that offense. And, and I'll listen to them. I have all the time that they would say things to me like that. I would say, yeah, um, yes, I did that. And they said, that was a terrible decision by you. You're an idiot. Um, I... I when I was teaching high school, I had a sign that said, I am stupid, please tell me whatever you want and I'll believe you. And I'd put it around my neck when the students would come up to talk to me. And, uh, it, just, it had a, a truncating effect, it definitely shortened the conversation. I said, listen, I don't mind if you lie to me. I really, I really like it, actually. I find it interesting. Just don't think I believe it. As long as you respect me and you don't think I believe it, then lying to me is kind of an amusing enterprise and I'll enjoy it. Anyway. What must God contend with? Back to the basketball thing. I would tell the person, hey, I had a kid that hadn't played. I had his grandparents in the stands. I had uh, an opportunity to get him in the game. They flew 2,000 miles the same. I want him to bring the ball down. It wasn't a mistake. I'm thinking about this over here. You're watching a very small, minute thing, and you think you understand it. It's a lot bigger than what you're doing. Do me a favor. Study basketball. Study coaching. Study human behavior. Come back and criticize me. Bill Maher has decided that God is evil, and he has no understanding or capacity to even begin to think one thought that God has. What must God contend with in order for his creation to function? For this creation to function... For this room to function. And not only his creation to function, it's functioning while being in the grasp of sin and death. 
What is required for God to be good? To be good. He has to know every, every aspect of everything. That's why omniscience. You can't be good. You can't be anything but good if you're omniscience. Pure, perfect sinlessness. That's what he is. He's sinless. Not a single sinful thought ever. What's required for him to be that way? And in, as I said, juxtaposed with his entire creation to be in corruption. What, what, how do I get that? What is required for God to be pure, perfect sinlessness? And Mr. Marr, who quickly exhibits no evidence of the ability to look inward at himself, proclaims God to be insane, a psychopath. Never considering that perhaps it is Mr. Marr himself who is in a blind madness. And, and that, by the way, is a characteristic of blind madness. What blind madness does, it causes more blind madness. You just end up with blind madness everywhere. So again, why do they insist that God is a mass murderer? Because we, uh, all of the earth, is marinated in death and they have no explanation as to why. And they blame God for it. They blame God because they don't want to die. Because when they die, what's going to happen? They think they're going to either cease to exist or they're going to be imprisoned. They're not happy with either one. Because they have no intention of believing God is or that God is good. They don't want any accountability. They want to remain in sin forever. They just want the death removed. Get rid of the death so that we can stay in sin forever. Is it good to allow that? Would you describe God as good and omniscient if he allowed what they want? No, you wouldn't. There's their problem. So they blame God and accuse God of being the causing agent, they say. Okay, if we're going to... If he's going to fix it, well, that's not right that he should fix it because he's the one that caused it. He's the causer of death and the origin of the author of sin. And God, therefore, was the first, is the first to sin. And they teach each other that. Every university, every high school. And they say things like Bill Maher said, that God delights in killing and murdering his creatures. He likes them torn to pieces. They teach you, every biology class, that God likes to tear his creature, watch his teachers, creatures tear each other to pieces and eat each other. That's what he likes. That's why he designed it. What do we call that, by the way? It's taught in the churches, taught by Hugh Ross. We call that progressive creationism. We call it theistic evolution. We try to meld creation with the tearing to pieces by animals or humans. And they say God delights in the killing and the murdering, and he's wicked, and he's arbitrary, and he's a psychopath. And again, evolutionary philosophy. God, they say, uses vicious death and suffering, the tearing, the devouring, as a means to evolve something and become humanity over vast amounts of time. And they teach that every day, and it's natural now that so many people believe God is evil. That's an aside. Hugh Ross, progressive creationism. It's quite popular now in the contemporary church, and it concedes to the uh, to the evolutionists that God utilized death and destruction in an evolutionary process. That's a, a subtle little fact of it. Anyway, we have to define murder, 
and I don't have much time to do it. If God is accused of being a murderer, then it follows that we need to establish the true meaning of the term. You see, God is either pure good, once more I will repeat, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and pure good have to be there. You can't pull out good and have those three. You can't pull out one and have any of the, uh, and remove, you can't remove anything from that. All of those are always together. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresent, and pure, perfect goodness. Let me write this. Everyone says, goodness is love. God says that he is love. Love never fails. God never fails. God says he is what? Also, he is holy. No sin at all, ever. Never. And then God is what? You want to say just? I'll give you just. I'm going to help the people listening that never hear, don't understand that word. I'm going to write fair. He is always good. And good has love, holiness, and fair as aspects of it. And they're interconnected, but they're distinct. We'll get into that next week. So again, God is either good or God is not. If God is not... And now not can be non-existent or it can be evil, either one. And those are Pascal's position. God is not, doesn't exist, or God is not good, either one. God is or God is good, same thing. Now, Pascal, as I said, by discussing the omniscience of God, he eliminated the God is malevolent position as illogical, a poor attempt, a weak, shallow attempt, and just a ploy. And he, that left only uh, God is holy, love, and fair as one choice, and God does not exist as the other. And murder, murder then could not apply to God in either choice. See, who would be the murderer then if God is not? And I'll, I'll develop this more, trust me. Who would be the murderer if God is not the murderer? We have all this murder, all this death, all this destruction. If God is not responsible for it, who is? What exactly is murder? Is God the murderer? Then God is the cosmic sadist. Or is God the great physician, the potter who repairs and restores the new restores to new the broken pottery. And that is ultimately where we go with this debate. And so I'm going to just read some verses, and then we're going to shut it down for today, and that will conclude our introduction to Pascal's wager. I hope that I've done it some justice. At least you know there's a term out there called Pascal's wager. I'm going to start in Matthew 19 and read you this. And you will see how I hope, my goal is, is that you will, you will see how all of these things fit into this wager, in a sense. Again, Pascal was a student of Scripture, so I would expect him to understand what he is saying. 1916 of Matthew. Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may be saved? So Christ said to him, and by the way, this is the rich young Pharisee. It might say ruler in your book, but uh, are your uh, non, uh, 
what do I want? Non-inspired heading, but it is uh, better to be the rich young Pharisee instead of the rich young ruler. Now behold, one came and said to Christ, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may be saved? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? If you want, how do you know I'm good? Is he good? Yeah. How do you know? No one is good but one. One is good. Okay, how many are good? How come he's the only one that's good? Because he's the only one that is omniscient. No one is good but one. God. If you're calling me good... You're calling me who, did he say to the rich Pharisee, young Pharisee? You're calling me God. Every time he talks, he tells you he's God. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Christ says, I'll stop there. We'll cover the rest of that later. That verse has to be understood, all of it. Luke 11 14, 11 through 14. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? By the way, this is about salvation. God giving you salvation. This is about eternal security. God will not tell you that because you did not have your name in alphabetical order or last name first, middle initial, you had the wrong identification number, you didn't fill out Line 6, addendum 14, page 19 of the salvation document. And therefore, sorry, push, I'll pull it away from you. Who teaches that kind of nonsense? The answer is everybody. Your salvation at stake all the time, they tell you. And if you don't believe me, then you're doomed. You have to believe me to be saved, they say. Come to my church. You have to buy a pew. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will that father give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? That's questions that God is asking. Then he says this, If you then, being evil... Yeah, I know who the you is in that sentence. If you, being evil, will give your son bread, or give him a fish, or give him an egg, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, will he withdraw his salvation from you? You're his child, right? Luke 12, 1. What's he saying about God? What's he saying about himself? He said, God is good. Has to be good. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude, this is one of my favorite verses in the book of Luke 12, 12, 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude, how big a multitude do you think that was? And who were they? Of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. By the way, did they trample each other to death? 
You've been to, some of you have been to places, rock concerts and state fair, not this state fair, where there's so many people, you're in danger of trampling. When we were in Sacramento, something like that happened. And um, But did anybody die here? Nobody died. But I had this mass of people. So they trampled one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed in the housetops, on the housetops. What's he saying? Somebody is what? Omniscient. He's connecting good and omniscience. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those, here he defines murder. Do not be afraid of those who killed the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear me, he says. Fear me. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So there's where physical death versus spiritual death is being discussed. And finally now, John 8:42, where we discuss murder. And we get the definition of murder here. Who is a murderer? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own sources For he is as a liar and is the father of it. What is it in that sentence? It is a person. The lie is also the name of a person. So that is where murder is discussed. Who is a murderer? Someone that cannot understand what Christ says. That's a murderer. Cannot understand it. Find me somebody who cannot understand what God says, what Christ says, and you have somebody who is what? A psychopathic mass murderer. And he's so ignorant, he doesn't know it. He's doing exactly what God said he would do in Isaiah 5.20. He is calling that which is good evil, and that which is evil good. He's calling himself good. How do I know that he's doing that? He's saying that he has the ability to judge who's evil. In order to judge evil, you must be what? Pure good. And you must be omniscient. That's where Pascal left it. And we'll go on further with it. For now, let's 